I want to add my welcome to Michael's. So good to have you all here with us. I have looked forward to this day for so long. Now, the building is nice. It's more than nice, let's be honest. This is, this is a great gift from the Lord. And our prayer all along has been that the Lord would be glorified through the worship that takes place here and that he would be glorified through the ministry that goes out from here. So yes, I've looked forward to this building for a long time, but I have also looked forward to opening this word for a long time. This gospel account has been so meaningful in my life and continues to be, and I am thrilled to be able to open it with you. This is the gospel according to John. It is the gospel about Jesus. It is an introduction to the person of Jesus, and and John presents that introduction in a personal way, maybe in distinct ways uh, beyond what the other gospel accounts do. And he tells us, he gives us this gospel account so that we may know him, and so that in knowing him, we may have life in his name. That's our goal. That's our goal as we approach this word. And so let me pray, asking the Lord's blessing on the reading and preaching of his word. Would you bow with me? Lord God, there is power in your word. You have ordained it as a means by which you introduce to us the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray that by the power of your spirit, you would plant this word deeply in our hearts. Anoint the reading, anoint the preaching, anoint the speaking for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear friends, this is the inerrant and infallible word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the Word of the Lord. Words are important. Words have meaning. When I say words, you understand what I am talking about. Building. (laughs) A book. A baby. I say these words and, and images come to your mind filling in the blanks. John opens up this gospel account with the word, word. It's a curious, almost veiled way to describe Jesus. And if you were listening, you did not hear his name in those first five verses. So if this is such a curious, veiled way for John to open up this gospel, what then is the meaning of the word, word? Well, think about it. What do words 
you, you have those images in your mind when you think of something, and words describe those concepts, those things, those ideas, those emotions, those persons. But not only do words describe them for you, they allow you to communicate those things or ideas or emotions or persons to other people. Have you ever played the game Taboo? It's a team game. You split up into teams. You pass out cards, and and the person who is uh, holding the card is trying to get the other people on their team to, to say a certain word, but the person leading can't utter that word. Sounds easy until you actually play it. So what do you do? You, you begin to describe that word or that thing or that concept or that person. You're trying to get the other person to, to guess. You know, you instinctively know what music is. How do, you, how do you get someone to say music? You have to talk about what it is. You have to talk about uh, the process of making music, the instrumentation. You talk about what music does within your own soul. You, you talk about melody. You talk about rhythm. And all the while, in trying to get this person to understand this word, you're describing it more fully than as if you had simply said music. Well, if that's what how we would define words, <laughs> they describe and they communicate, maybe John isn't being so veiled after all. <laughs> maybe he is being crystal clear when he describes for us in, in the prologue to his gospel account, when he describes Jesus as the word. He's saying that Jesus describes and communicates the rest of Scripture, we see that He's the visible image of the invisible God, that in Him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell bodily. So when John opens by describing Jesus as the Word, He's being clear. He's describing, He's describing, He's communicating Jesus in his fullness. But the words that he uses in these verses, they, they communicate longings of our heart. Longings that oftentimes are too deep for us to articulate for words. And so let's explore this text. And as we do, I, I want to I set an expectation for our time in John. If you're the kind of person who, who looks for a sermon to give you five points to a better marriage or a better career or better parenting, you're going to walk away from this unsatisfied. That's not John's goal. John's goal is to introduce us to the person of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you hear the person of Jesus Christ today and the, for the entirety of our time in this gospel account. John begins by describing the Word. And he describes Him as the eternal Word. In the beginning was the Word. 
was the Word. You see, he's telling us something fundamental about Jesus, that he pre-existed creation. When, when creation began, when the beginning began, Jesus already was. Jesus is eternal. But not only is he eternal, Jesus is eternally God the Son. In the beginning, was, the Word was God. Now, for a moment, I just want to plant this seed for you. We're going to come back in a couple of weeks when we get to John 1.14 and, and begin to unpack that seed. When we get to John's description of the incarnation. But for now, know that, that Jesus, the Word, is an eternal Word and He's eternally God. He's speaking to the deity of Jesus Christ. And beautifully, as he speaks to the deity of Jesus Christ, he's telling us that in eternity past, the Word was with God. Was and with. <laughs> Two words that are, that are foundational to our understanding of the Trinity. In eternity past, the Lord our God has existed union. This is a doctrinal truth, certainly, for us to, to understand and, and learn more about the person of Jesus Christ, but it's more than info for our minds. It's encouragement for our hearts, because it speaks to our longing. Let me ask you, is your notion of Christianity marked by relational joy? Think about that. When, when you consider Christianity, do you think relational joy? It's precisely what this truth is pointing us to. That for all eternity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit has lived in an intimate, relational, joyous union. And that, my friends, is the essence of the Christian faith and the Christian life. Think about your earthly relationships for a moment. The relationships you desire. If you desire a, a relationship, you, you think about what you need to do to present yourself in such a way that the other person or the other people will, will enter into a relationship with you. Singles, we want to make ourselves look presentable. We want to make ourselves look attractive to someone else so that they might desire relationship with us. But then once we get that relationship, what do we do? We feel the pressure to, to sustain it. The truth is that Jesus Christ is eternally God and has eternally lived an intimate, relational, joy-filled union within the Godhead. And that the Christian life is marked by our being joined into, being united into that relationship. Tells us that this is a relationship that pre-existed us, that is not dependent upon us securing it or sustaining it. Friend, his union pre-existed. And in Jesus, in Him, we're joined. Our joy 
The joy of this relationship is not temporary and is not dependent upon us. We, in Christ, simply share in it. So, when John describes Jesus as the Word, I hope you're beginning to see that he's speaking a mouthful. But the Word is not only eternal, the Word is creative. Did something sound um, familiar? We began reading this text in the beginning. Where do you go? You go to the beginning. You go to Genesis 1-1, which also begins in the beginning. There are intentional echoes of creation here as John is presenting this gospel account. John is taking us back. He's taking us back to creation. And in verse 3, he's telling us that the eternal word, the pre-incarnate Christ, was a very instrument of creation. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. All things. All things were created through him. Now, if you're like me, you, you hear that, you, you begin to ponder it, and maybe you begin to wonder about the mechanics the mechanics of it all. How did Jesus do this? How did Jesus make creation? How did he co-labor with the Father to do this? If that is you, I just want to offer you this that I understand, but I also want to tell you I can't help you. Because the point of this text is not to tell us the, me the mechanics of creation. It's to point us to the majesty of creation. It's to point us to the majesty of the instrument of creation, the creative word. What we know from this text and, and others throughout Scripture is that God the Father carried out his creative works through the activity of God the Son. Go back to Genesis 1. What do we know? We know that by the power of his word, God spoke and all matter came into existence. It speaks to the the majesty, the, the immensity of God. But as he spoke, he spoke words. And John here is telling us that the word, the instrument of creation. Again, I can't explain it, but what I can do is worship at the feet of this Jesus. Again, it's a doctrinal truth, but it is a doctrinal truth that speaks into our deepest longings. I'll ask you another question. Is your notion of Christianity marked by beauty? Is your notion of Christianity marked by creativity? If we're honest, most of us would have to say no. It's not what we think of. Oftentimes, when we think of Christianity, we think of that, that, old, uh, that old painting of the, of the grim-faced farmer holding a pitchfork beside his wife. And very little in that image, that picture, points us to beauty and creativity, but the Word does. The Word points us to beauty and creativity. If we're honest, we would have to say that our notion of, cre of Christianity is not marked by these attributes, but the truth is it is. 
most, most of us desire it. And that's the good news that John is presenting to us here. He starts out by saying that Jesus is powerful, Jesus is eternal, and Jesus is creative. He is the instrument of creation by him. All things were created. The Rocky Mountains, the Cahaba River, and the newborn baby also mean that Jesus Christ, God the Son, was not created. That's the the back end of verse 3. That that negative, without Him, was not anything made that was made. He wasn't made. He's eternally begotten of the Father. Our Savior was not a created afterthought. (laughs) He's eternally the Son. And that leads me to a point that I've been sort of dancing around and leading up to. That the eternal word, who is the creative word, is a personal word. Look, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John is making a profound statement. And I, I, I just parenthetically drive that point home. This, I, I'm speaking of John's word. This is ultimately God's word. John is speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that God has given him. God's presenting himself here in this text. And through John, he's he's giving us this profound statement, but it is also a polemical statement. You see, John is redeeming a word and its meaning from Greek thought. (laughs) This word that we're translating as word the Greek is, is logos. And logos means word, but for the Greeks, the logos also represented a philosophical concept of word as an impersonal principle of reason. The Greeks desired wisdom. They desired reason. It is Reminiscent of our enlightenment concept where where everything can be explained by science, by reason. It goes back to the Greeks. It was a search for meaning and purpose in life through dispassionate, non-personal reason. An effort to try and make sense of our existence. To make sense of the world and all that is in it. But John says, no. The biblical logos is superior to the Greek logos because the biblical logos, the true logos, is a person. The emphasis that John gives us in this gospel account because he is trying to introduce us to a person. Jesus is a person and this gospel is about a person. You may be sitting here thinking to yourself, okay, of course. I want to present to you that we are tempted in ways that we may not fully understand to create a Christianized version of the Greek logos. I'll call it this. I'll call it propositional Christianity. If, then. We're tempted to do that. Christianity. And this is how it presents itself. We, 
we create a notion of Christianity formed around a system of rules and precepts that if we input ourselves into those rules and precepts, the output will be moral living. Tempted to view Christianity as a, as a guidebook for moral living. And, and, and yes, <laughs> morality is an aspect of Christianity, but the, the, the Christian is to, is to grow in morality. But do not miss this, that the morality of the Christian life is merely derivative. It flows out of the new hearts. You see, that is what we mean by grace. The Lord God, in his wisdom and for his glory, has chosen chosen to redeem a people by a person does that by removing our heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh and and yet we we take that that beautiful gracious goal of our father and reduce it to a, a propositional truth founded on moral living there's even a there's even a gospel-centered version of propositional Christianity. There is a version of propositional Christianity that would rightly see the sinfulness of mankind, would, right, would rightly see the deep need for reconciliation with the Father through the Son. But we can still be tempted to reduce that gospel-centered propositional Christianity to a system of if-then. If I believe with right doctrine, then I'll be reconciled. But when I focus there, I'm placing the emphasis on the right doctrine. And do not hear me say that right doctrine is not important. I pray that you hear it from this pulpit. Right doctrine points us to the person of Jesus Christ. I'll confess that I can be tempted. I have sort of a logical mind. I'm tempted to make my view of Christianity, this version of gospel-centered propositional truth. And I can lose Jesus in the midst of it. <laughs> I'm tempted to reduce the faith to a system of right behaviors or right beliefs. And, and here's the thing. Formulas, propositions, if-then statements, they, they tell us truths. But if we're not careful, they can separate us from persons. I've offered this illustration before. I'll put it back before you again. Maybe you remember, maybe some of you are in a high school geometry class now. <laughs> Those of us who are not, look back in time. You may remember a, a set of postulates. What was the first postulate in geometry? Straight line. May be drawn from any given point to any other given point. Put another way, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. It's a true truth. But it hardly stirs your heart. You see, if I look back in time, not to high school geometry class, but to my wedding day, I stood at the one end of the church aisle, and at the other end, there was another point, and my beautiful bride was there. And on that day, the propositional truth of Euclid's first 
postulate had no presence in my brain. <laughs> All I knew was there was a person at the end of that line, and I could not wait <laughs> for her to get down to this place. <laughs> you see, the truths and their points were personal. The truths are personal. The truths of the gospel introduce us, draw us to the person of Jesus Christ. Friends, is your notion of Christianity marked by any version of a formula? Or is your notion of Christianity marked by personal intimacy with a person? Personal intimacy is the heart of the gospel because the heart of the gospel is drawing us into personal, eternal union with Jesus Christ. He is the groom. And he does not wait on his bride to come down to this end of the aisle. He runs after us and redeems us. That is the personal truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is eternal. He is creative. He is personal. Brothers and sisters, he is the life-giving word. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Not through him in him I'm not playing semantics here life is not through him but life is in him he Jesus is life not merely the creator of life but the very source of it life is a major theme in John you're going to hear as we go through John he, he takes these, these themes these words and unpacks them and brings them to life and we see in John that, that life is eternal life, but that eternal life starts now, which tells us that life is physical, but it is also spiritual. John says Jesus is life. He is speaking about Jesus possessing the fullness of God's essence. Because Jesus, the Word, was God, He's fully God. All God's attributes are fully, perfectly present in Him because He is life. Life is in Him and not through Him. He doesn't merely hand out life. Let's to think about our merry way. Last night we had ice cream because ice cream is the best dessert there is. Amen. Finally got an amen this morning. If you're sitting in your house, if you're playing in your yard, and you hear that van making its way through the neighborhood with that magical jingle, <laughs> what do you do? You run out to the street because you know the ice cream truck is coming. And if you go and you stop that ice cream truck and you talk to the ice cream man, you can, you can ask him for something, he'll give it to you, and then you run off on your merry way. Some of us want to do the same with Jesus. Go get a little life from him and then go about our merry way. But the gospel is not a formula and the gospel is not a goodie bag. The gospel is about the person of Jesus Christ who is life. And life is connected to him. 
and is offered in relational union with him. But by his grace, he gives us a way to find that union. There's a way to find a way to him. Because the life that is in him is the light of men. Again, a distinction, an important distinction. The life was light, not the other way around. The life was not was light, not the light was life. Think about it this way. When, when, you, when you consider the sun, S-U-N, the, the sun shining in the sky, we think about its light. And the light of the sun, it, it gives warmth. It gives a light that causes the plants to grow. The light of the sun is life-giving. But with Jesus, it is just the opposite. His life is light-giving. Now, here's why that's important. Many of us, many in the world and maybe many of us here, we're seeking light or enlightenment apart from the source. We're seeking to find some enlightenment, to make some sense of the world, to to find meaning and purpose. Enlightenment apart from the source of that light, apart from Jesus. Jesus, the source of life, is the one who radiates the very light that we're looking for. For some of us, that enlightenment serves as a search through reason. For some of us, it's a search trying to find meaning, enlightenment, and worldly pleasure. Some of us are just so confused, we don't know where to turn. But we're looking for something apart from the source of the light. And apart from that source of the light, What the scripture is telling us here is that we only find darkness. Recently I had a conversation with a friend who described this for me, this search for me in really impactful ways. You see, he had grown up with a a propositional view of Christianity, a moralistic view of Christianity that was devoid of the true personal gospel. So as my friend grew into independence, he, he went on a journey, <laughs> a journey to, to rid himself of that false notion of Christianity that he had grown up with, but he didn't have the discernment to know that what he had grown up with was false in the way we've described it. So he simply sought to snuff out any trace of faith. Here's the rub. He's the nicest guy you would ever meet. But on this journey, he ran away. He ran away from the church. He ran away from Christ. And what he described to me was running away from the light. He followed reason, studying the philosophers. He sought life in self-pleasure, looking in, in all manner of places. He sought adventure as an adrenaline junkie and all the while he was distancing himself from that notion of what he had grown up with. 
He described his journey in a, in a haunting way because the truth is he was successful. He was successful in separating himself from the source of light. So successful that a friend told me he found himself one day one step away from total darkness. He looked out and all he saw was the dark. He was terrified. You see, darkness is the absence of light. And my friend got to the very edge. And at that point, in mysterious ways, the Lord God Almighty began sovereignly drawing himself back to him. Without knowing it, my friend was describing verse 5. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, there's a battle going on between light and dark. But in this battle, it is not a battle of equals. The light wins. It pierces into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Because for those whom the Lord is calling to himself, the light of life will shine. It's beautiful. Even mystical language points us to a very tangible source of that light. It points us to the person of Jesus Christ, the Lord. Jesus Christ, our Savior, and it tells us that life is in Him. He does not hand it out like an ice cream truck. It is found through belief, through saving, trusting belief in Him. And it is lived out not only then, but now in intimate, relational, joy-filled union. Friends, I've told you, if you're looking for five steps to a better career, John is going to leave you wanting. But if you're looking for the person of Jesus Christ, you've come to the right place. This is simply the beginning of the prologue. There is much more good news to come. But I will leave you with this simple, heartfelt plea. Love. The word points us to Jesus. Embrace the person of Jesus. He's the life-giving light. Father, this is, this is true and personal truth. And I pray that you would give us hearts to hear. Plant this word. Feed it. You cause it to grow. That we might find life in Jesus' name. For it is in his name we ask this.